Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. Lots of things developing in the world of agriculture, keeping an eye on the markets. We're going to check in with Chris Robinson of Robinson Ag Marketing here in just a minute. The wheat market is on a tear. We'll get his thoughts on what's coming. In segment two, Max Fisher, chief economist from the National Grain and Feed Association, will be joining us. They have been raising alarm bells on the rail issues for the past year. Of course, we've seen a lot of action over the last two weeks in rail. Max is going to have an update for us on how that rail traffic is moving. And in segment three, we're going to talk renewable natural gas. Patrick Surfass is the executive director of the American Biogas Council. They continue to expand and more farmers are looking at putting reactors on their operations and there might be some advantages to it following the Inflation Reduction Act. And we're going to close the show with Greg Krisak. He's the CEO of Kansas Corn Growers, serves on the Triazine Network, and he's got an alert. We've got to take some action here to keep Triazine for farm use. There's a comment period at EPA that ends on October 7th, folks. Stick with us for Greg's update on how we can keep that tool in the toolbox. Before we get to all of that, though, let's start with the markets. Chris Robinson, Robinson Ag Marketing, joins us today. And Chris, as I was watching the trade in the overnight, wheat was green. And then as we got deeper and deeper overnight, it started to grow. The trade opened this morning. Wheat is up big. What has transpired in the wheat market here in the last 24 hours? Well, it's a good rebound. We also have had a, a rebound also in the stock market, too. So a general and a rebound in the crude oil market. Uh, they were pounding on it pretty good last night. You got a one-month low in corn as well, um, and I think that uh, you've seen tremendous volatility in the wheat, and I don't think that's going to go away anytime, anytime soon. But definitely some more concern here this morning about obviously what's going on in Russia. I think you mentioned the, the whole rail issue, and the third thing is you can't discount the fact that it's not ideal planting conditions right now for um, the heart, the winter wheat. So throw that all together, you know, uh, and, and the, the volatility that we've had has just been tremendous. We've had, you know, dollar moves during the week uh, multiple times now. So this is a gift for producers. We're about 20 cents away from a three-month high. If we're looking at um, December Kansas City wheat, uh, that's a pretty good indicator. And honestly, we've been trending higher. I mean, I know it seems strange, right, because we've had such volatility, but we've been trending higher since August. We've had higher highs and higher lows. We have had nasty pullbacks, but um, in general, the trend has been higher. Wheat's been trying to carve out a bottom since that low in August, and you know we'll see how uh, we get through tomorrow. Now, excuse me, Friday. Friday is the last day of the month, the last day of the quarter, and we're heading into October, right? So that's that's kind of a recipe for uh, repricing, and the USDA is going to give us the first numbers on the um, uh, stocks. So anything out of whack there. Um, you know, we could have another repricing event. Uh, we know the volatility we had on the last report. I'd expect something similar this time if any of those numbers are not up to what the um, average guesses are. Well, and that's the thing, Chris, as you look out to Friday's report, that quarterly grain stocks coming out from the USDA, USDA and the trade are both quite close on estimates. Where's your heart uh, lie here for Friday's number on corn uh, grain stocks? I'd imagine that, you know, I've been doing this for 30 plus years. Usually, you know, when they start cutting the yields and they start cutting the uh, stocks, they'll cut a little bit more. I think that was a big surprise coming out of that last report. They, you know, they, they cut that. I would imagine, though, they'll probably nudge it a little bit lower again. That would be my opinion. Um, you know, and how do you manage that that opinion? Well, you got to have a hedge on. I have hedge on for, hedges on for end users. End users get hurt if prices go higher. I also have hedges on for my producers. If you've got unpriced grain, you know, you want to keep a floor under there just in case there's a surprise. Uh, you know, there's, a, there's an anticipation that it, the numbers are going to be uh, uh, lighter and, you know, be a little bit friendlier. And that's great, right? If you're a producer, that's what you want. You want prices to get back up. You want that these 22 corn to go back up towards 7 bucks. Um, we're looking at that right now. These, these corn 22 are back up about 670 
Um, that's a big level. I know a lot of farmers out there are waiting to see if we can get the $7 print. We just missed it after the last report. Uh, maybe this report will give it to us. And what would be the, the driver? If any of those numbers are out of whack uh, significantly with the stocks, um, you know, you'll know it within the first 10 seconds uh, when that report comes out at 11 o'clock Friday. Yeah, that's a great point. You'll know it within a couple milliseconds of that report coming out the way these headline traders can uh, can move markets. Chris, while we're thinking ahead to Friday, of course, we've got the soybean market trading. We went below 14 in the overnight, has come back since then. Which direction do you think soy trades into Friday? Uh, you know, we, we had a really good move on the last report, right? We've got tight corn stocks and we've got tight, um, uh, really tight soybean stocks. And that's the key. Um, and I think if, if we get rewarded with another, you know, kind of bullish information, uh, you know, that we could see go, go a little bit higher. But you are right. The $14 level, that's a big psychological level. Same thing with $7 new crop corn. That's going to be the, the, you know, the line of scrimmage where everybody, you know, we're going to put helmets on helmets uh, and then moving forward. So, you know, if you're a producer, again, don't worry about what happens if we go to 15, right? Everybody wants to go back to $15 beans. Worry about what happens if, you know, two or three months from now we're back down to 1250. Something, something unexpected happens. So protect your downside. $14 is an easy, easy level to get focused on. And, um, you know, you don't have to spend a fortune to get a hedge. Uh, you know, you can put a hedge on you know, just for the report. Um, there's no law that says you've got to keep it on until the options expire. So take a look at that. It might help you sleep better at night. Um, obviously, if you're a producer, you're not, you're not worried about higher prices. You're worried about lower ones. That's right. You got to cover those input costs. Chris, you mentioned getting protection through the report. Have short dated options still been an affordable choice for situations like this? Yeah, they are. I mean, some people lean towards the weeklies. Uh, that's a little bit too uh, uh, short term for me. It's like a bottle rocket. Either they, they pay off or they don't. But you can do a November option now, which protects you, you know, for the next 20 days um, for both corn and beans. You can go do that. So that's something I think, you know, the risk is in the next uh, three weeks. Lots of times with these reports, you know, you'll see we'll have a move one day. Then two days later, um, we're back to you know where we were. We saw that in the last report. We had a really good bounce in soybeans, and then it all went away. We had a nice bounce in corn. Look, like we're going to take out seven dollars, and you know, then we dropped to six sixty-five. So uh, keep those hedges on. I would say um, at least for a day or two after the report. Lots of times it takes that long for the market to flush out. Absolutely, Chris. I want to get your opinion here on the currency market. We've had the dollar index screaming higher for the past three weeks. As we get towards that month end, that quarter end coming on Friday, where's the risk lie here for the U.S. dollar? Well, U.S. dollar now is playing the old high game. And then what I mean is to go back and look at the charts, the next big level people are looking at, like everything else, it's round numbers. So right now I'm looking at the screen and we're, we got the 114.75. 115 would be a big level. And then if you go back a little bit longer, you can go to 120. So that's probably like the worst case scenario if you're short the dollar or if you're worried about the dollar going higher. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where you, you see the, the inverse. You've got British pound and the euro dollar getting pounded as the dollar goes higher. We're going to see those macro market effects playing out through the commodities. And Chris Robinson, thanks for keeping track of them for us. We appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, sir. Have a great week. rest of the week. And folks, stay tuned. We're going to come back and we're going to talk rail service with Max Fisher of the National Grain and Feed Association. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're putting proven yield advantage to work in your fields. ExtendFlex soybeans offer elite genetics built on the proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. In fact, farmers saw a 4 bushel per acre advantage and a 70% average win rate over Enlist E3 soybeans in 2020 germplasm trials. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development, 
From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Smart stays on the road. That's why it's in your engine, because you wouldn't settle for subpar performance. Cenex Maxtron synthetic diesel engine oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. These premium oils maintain 80% of their viscosity throughout the drain interval for superior engine performance across extreme temperatures. That horizon looks good with the competition behind you. Cenex Maxtron diesel engine oils, oil that runs smart. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We are gearing up for harvest season here across the Corn Belt, well, and indeed across much of the entire United States. We are entering a phase where U.S. farmers are going to be reliant more than usual on the rail system here in the United States. And it's a rail system that has certainly had its struggles here over the past 24 months. We are just two weeks removed from the breakthrough agreement between the unions and the rail workers in order to keep service moving on the rails. And of course, the National Grain and Feed Association represents a lot of users who are some of the major users of those rail systems. And joining us today is Max Fisher. He's their chief economist and treasurer. He's been keeping track of these issues and the impact it has had on members. Max, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Let's start with rail service as it stands right now, Max. We had that agreement here two weeks ago. Unions are voting on it. We'll see their votes here in a little bit. But in the meantime, what are you hearing from members? How is rail service across the country right now? Um, for the most part, uh, rail service is quite a bit better than it was earlier in the year. Um, it's still it's still down from where it traditionally is at, um, so don't get me wrong. Like if you look back, say a year ago, rail service was was better than it is now. But uh, um, right now, we're kind of going through a little bit of a, a downturn in the amount of grain that needs to be shipped by rail. You know, this, this happens every every year, um, kind of in August, September, and then as we uh, as we restock the grain pipeline, you know, with with the harvested grain, then uh, then rail demand will go back up. Absolutely, Max. And typically, when do you see the peak demand for farmers across the rail network, or at least for the ag industry? Would it be that post-harvest into December, January time period? Yeah, um, that period. Uh, plus, plus, actually, usually it, it goes quite a while. Um, so it'll go like the first half of next year, too. So, um, you know, I, I would estimate that about nine months, you know, kind of from, you know, when harvest really uh, is in full swing. Um, through about the beginning of the following year, or the middle of the following year, rather. 
All right. So as we look ahead to that time period, Max, that's kind of when everything could get hairy again. As we mentioned, the unions are voting on that proposed contract. Do you know when that vote is expected to be finalized? Have they made that announcement? Yes, um, it has. So there are, there are 12 unions um, that we're talking about with respect to the railroad. So each each craft within the rails, say, uh, say the engineers, uh, the machinists, uh, the dispatchers, you know, they all have a separate union, and they all have to vote on this agreement. So, those votes will take will take place here over the next uh, roughly month and a half, um, probably by the end of November. Um, all all of them should have voted on it by then. All right. So we'll wait. We've got, as you mentioned, five, six weeks here. We'll see how these votes turn out. Let's assume that these get passed. There's a lot of enthusiasm with this proposed deal. Let's assume it gets passed. Does it fix the trouble that we've seen on the railroads, Max, or is this a long-term structural issue that the rails are still going to have to be grappling with? Uh, good question. Um, so it, it, I mean, it fixes the near-term issue of having the whole rail network shut down, which would just be terrible. Um, so that, that part would be taken away. Um, as far as the, the long-term service issues, you know, by long-term, I'm saying like the last year, um, no, I mean, th those still are not fixed. I mean, that, that's going to just require some of the, some, it's not all the railroads, but for the railroads that have been struggling, they just don't have enough crews and you know, they're, they're going to have to, you know, that's going to take time to get enough people hired and trained. So I, you know, a lot of the people in the grain industry don't think the rail service issues are going to go away anytime too soon. Max, with that being the case, is is there another alternative for the grain industry? Are you going to are we seeing them ramp up their trucking fleets or perhaps look at uh, at other methods to get grain moved? Or do we just accept the higher costs and perhaps a, a little longer delay at times? Uh, for those who have access to the inland water system, you know, there, there's, you know, grain moving on barges down the rivers uh, to the Gulf. Um, sure, yeah, trucking is, is always there, um, and it has been leaned on heavily this year by those who absolutely had to get product to their customers. Um, you know, other than those two modes, uh, not a lot of options. Um, occasionally, maybe you'll have access to a different railroad that's performing better. But, uh, for the, you know, a lot of times it, it just has resulted in facilities having to shut down temporarily while they wait for uh, rail cars. Boy, not great. That takes dollars out of the pockets of those businesses and down the line. It takes dollars out of the pockets of growers who rely on the basis there to get those products move. I want to ask you, Max, about policy, the labor issue that's going to be between the rail workers and their employers. Policy wise, we've seen a lot of focus from D.C. on the on supply chains and rail specifically here over the past years. Can you talk a little bit about the Reliable Rail Service Act that was just proposed by uh, Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin? Sure. Yeah. So uh, back in, I guess we have to go back in time to really talk about it. Um, so in 1980, uh, the Staggers Act was passed, and it, you know, it, it largely allowed the railroads. Um, at the time, railroads were, were going through hard times. You know, the, a lot of them were uh, were not solvent. Um, they were struggling, and so what the Staggers did is act is it allowed the railroads to essentially, you know, almost have full control over setting their rates, uh, determining their business structure, et cetera. Um, kind of took the government completely, almost completely out of out of the rail industry as far as regulating it. Um, but in, in its place, you know, railroads agreed, it was in the Staggers Act, that they would provide uh, reasonable rail service upon reasonable request from rail customers. But that never was really defined. I mean, it never was. So we've gone, you know, 40-plus years, you know, with the railroads, you know, uh, consolidate. There's been a rapid consolidation in the rail industry. Now we're down to seven class one, soon to be class six. Um, you know, their their balance sheets are all very healthy now. Doing, doing, you know, doing a lot better than they were pre 1980. And but yet now we have rail customers who aren't receiving reliable service. You know, and uh, you know they're now asking the question like, hey, I'm making these reasonable requests for service, but I'm I'm not getting it. And what this act would do that was introduced by Senator Baldwin is it would allow the Surface Transportation Board, which regulates railroads, it would provide them more information on what they should look at when a rail shipper brings a case to the STB saying, hey, I'm, I'm not being served by my railroad adequately. And then the STB will actually have some guidance provided by Congress through this act 
uh, to be able to determine if that rail shipper has a has a case, and if if then the regulator can tell the railroad, hey, you, you need to be doing better for this customer. That's interesting. Okay, so the Reliable Rail Service Act, then, if I understand it, Max, would be backwards looking. It wouldn't be a way for me to say, I've got this load that they haven't come and picked up yet. Come on and get me a train. It would be, I've seen Mm -hmm. repeated delays. Now let's, would we find the rails? Would we require them to make stops? What would the STB likely do to uh, remediate this? Well, they would probably look, like a lot of times what happens is, you know, the the railroad will be providing, let's say, service uh, three times a week to a shipper. And then, you know, the railroad may arbitrarily say, nah, you know, we've changed our, our business model. We're now going to provide service to you two times a week. And that may result in that shipper not being able to run their facility uh, at 100% capacity. You know, maybe it'll only run at 80% now. Um, you know, it, it hurts the shipper's business, you know, to the point to where you know, they may worry about the, you know, the viability of, of that facility moving forward. So a lot of times what, what this would do is it allows that shipper to go to STB and say, hey, you know, the railroad unilaterally decided they were not going to fully service anymore. What's the reason why they, you know, you know, help us out here, you know, make the railroad make its case as to why it did this. And, you know, was that really the right thing to do, especially when they have this what's called common carrier obligation where they're supposed to be providing this service upon reasonable request. So um, right now, anyway, the way it works is the railroad, you know, gets to make that decision on its own. And, you know, it can really negatively impact businesses that they do that to. So it would allow those businesses to essentially make their case as to why they, they want the railroad to continue to provide the service they had been receiving. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Now, Max, I have seen since this bill was proposed, my email has been a steady inbox of associations coming together to urge the passage of this Reliable Rail Service Act. I know NGFA supports its passage. Have you heard from any folks in Congress? Does it sound like this might uh, might have legs? Um, you know, I, I really think this is just the beginning. It, you know, it's going to, like a lot of things in Congress, you know, it takes time to kind of uh, get the get the support or, you know, convince, I guess, convince enough senators so you gotta, that, that it's uh, worthwhile. So I, I, in this Congress, it's probably unlikely, you know, we're, we're just about to run out. We're going to have the elections here in another month and a half. And uh, so I, I really think this is just a marker bill that, you know, we brought up in, in, in a future Congress, the next one. I think you're right about that, folks. We've been talking to Max Fisher, the chief economist and treasurer at the National Grain and Feed Association. Max, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick around. When we come back, we're going to talk renewable natural gas with Patrick Surfass of the American Biogas Council. Stick around for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's take a look at what's going on here in the broader commodity space. We see that the U.S. dollar rallying again overnight to new highs yet. The wheat markets are trending their way higher. We see mixed two-sided activity through corn and soybean trade. While we see mixed action in the livestock sector with the stock market and energy is also quietly mixed with crude oil up a little bit around $79 a barrel here as we work through our morning trade. Now, overall, we see that stocks 
Again, attempted a modest bounce overnight, but are holding relatively firm with the uh, VIX. That is back near 35 overnight, a fresh three-month high. That's Wall Street's fear index before it pulled back a little bit to trade around 34. Now, the VIX uh, remaining elevated, the dollar rallying again, hitting a new 20-year high overnight before pulling back just a little bit. This is going to be the continued wet blanket over the broader commodity space as we move forward. Although, again, like I said, we are seeing wheat prices push modestly higher this morning, even with the dollar moving its way higher. So we're watching that very closely. We also turn our attention to what's going on in Washington, D.C. as Congress continues to work on a stopgap funding bill that would prevent a government shutdown on Saturday. We'll be watching to see if that has any impact on the market trade as well. Also, Hurricane Ian reaching Category 4 strength here this morning, and it's close to Category 5 strength as it makes its anticipated landfall on the west coast of Florida here today. That is something else that we're going to be watching closely to see if there's any impact in the market trade. Overall, we see corn again about a penny or two either side of unchanged. Same in soybeans with double-digit strength in the wheat markets. Meantime, moderately higher in live cattle and lean hogs with slightly lower action in feeder cattle. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We are talking about issues that impact agriculture. That's our goal every day on this program. And one of the issues that has been slow burning in agriculture is the growth of renewable natural gas. We've seen this be a factor at operations in different parts of the country for several years, decades even. These op uh, reactors have been around, but that growth has been exploding. And it's coming at a time when global focus on energy is at a high and reducing the carbon content of that energy is also in focus. And if this is a way for farmers to bring more dollars to their operations, I think it's worth discussing. So joining me today to bring us up to speed on the biogas industry is Patrick Surfass. He's the executive director of the American Biogas Council, follows all of these issues closely. And Patrick, you're in an industry that is seeing some pretty rapid growth in 2022, aren't you? We sure are, Mike. I mean, the industry is, is growing quite strongly. And it's really because we're, we're getting impact from a couple different directions. We're getting a, a greater recognition for the carbon reduction benefits that biogas system can provide. There's more of an interest in displacing the fossil fuels that we use for transportation with our alternative fuels. There's more of an interest in using renewable electricity. And there's more of an interest in just um, creating, you know, better sustainability for farming operations. And there are other reasons as well, but among those, biogas systems help with all of those. And so we saw just for RNG projects uh, last year, we saw a 47% increase in new projects that came online last year. And while that happened, the number of projects that went into development or went under construction uh, increased by 41%. So we're not just seeing strong double digit growth, we're seeing an acceleration of growth. And that's certainly something that we, we hope will continue and we hope we can uh, help our farmers to take uh, advantage of the opportunities that are in front of us right now. 
Absolutely. And Patrick, let's talk about what RNG is. For listeners who maybe aren't familiar with this concept, can you tell us a little bit how it works and how it's different from natural gas? Sure. So, so RNG is made from biogas, and biogas is made with a natural process. So microbes that are already present in manure, for example, and our food waste and our wastewater sludge, those, uh, those microbes can eat up organic material and burp out methane. If you have a manure lagoon, uh, that's what happens in the bottom of your lagoon. They, uh, the microbes are starved of oxygen because they're in the bottom of the lagoon. There's organic material in there, and they eat up the organic material and burp out methane. And if we can just do that in a closed environment, like if we can put a tarp or cover, uh, an airtight cover over those lagoons, or better yet, an engineered tank, move all the manure into an engineered tank, that creates a Goldilocks scenario where it's not stirred too much, not stirred too little. It's not too hot, it's not too cold, it's not too acidic, not too alkaline. You get it right in the middle there where those bugs are really happy. And those microbes are going to reproduce um, to the maximum extent that you can get. That means they're going to produce the most biogas. And biogas is methane and carbon dioxide. And methane is what natural gas basically is. Natural gas is basically about 95 to 100% methane. And so if you can take biogas made from these anaerobic digesters, from these biogas systems, from these microbes, then you can uh, take the carbon dioxide out of the biogas and you're left with almost pure methane, which is the same as conventional natural gas, except for it's been renewably produced by recycling organic material. And I understand a lot of times when we're producing something renewably, sustainably, we've got that market out there, Patrick, there's usually a premium for that product. And we've seen natural gas prices accelerate over this past year. Have RNG prices accelerated as well? Yeah, but it's, you know, for a lot of customers, of a lot of gas customers, they're not necessarily willing to pay more for their gas. So the, the increased price that you can get from your RNG is not always coming from natural gas customers. Now, there are some companies that buck that trend. We have like Cargill's and Anheuser-Busch and L'Oreal and other companies that need to reduce their carbon footprint. And because they need to meet environmental sustainability and governance goals for their investors, they are paying a premium for renewable natural gas on the voluntary market. They are voluntarily deciding we need to lower our carbon footprint, so we're going to buy renewable natural gas instead of conventional gas. And that is creating a market. But, but most of the time right now, uh, the increased price in RNG is coming from these policies. There's a policy in California called the Low Carbon Fuel Standard. There's a federal policy called the Renewable Fuel Standard. And those policies are designed to increase the amount of renewable fuel produced for transportation and increase the amount of renewable fuel that is used in transportation to decarbonize uh, our transportation market. And if you can participate in those programs and uh, biogas projects can, in addition to other re renewable energy projects, then in addition to creating the biogas or the renewable natural gas from that biogas, you can create credits. And those credits have a value. And it's the additional value that those credits bring that can take your gas, where conventional ga natural gas might be worth $3 for every million BTU, in the voluntary market, that gas might be worth 9 to $15 per MBTU. And then if you participate in these two programs, the Renewable Fuel Standard and the Low Carbon Fuel Standard that I mentioned, then your gas might be worth like 9 to $60 per MBTU um, because of oh, those wow. credits. And compared to $3, that's a, that's a game changer. So there's, there's big opportunity there. And Patrick, you mentioned uh, as you were describing how biogas is created, the manure example. And I know in my life, I saw bioreactors at first on dairy farms and looking at the map of where these projects are, it does seem like they are congregated in dairy areas right now. But the industry is changing and it's expanding. Can you talk about some of the projects you've seen recently using other feedstocks besides perhaps manure? Yeah, well, you know, if you if you think about manure, manure is food, right, food that animals ate, but they've already digested one. So the animals have already taken some of the energy out of whatever they ate, and they, they did not perfectly digest the food, the food that they ate, so there's still energy left in the manure, and that's the energy that we're extracting for biogas. But if you just take food waste, like let's talk about, um, you know, a bunch of, a whole pallet of expired uh, cheese, cheese, nacho cheese sauce, or 
in French onion dip that where the labels were all put on upside down and now you can't sell it and you have to recycle that material or maybe food that's just spoiled from your grocery store or your restaurant. Um, that needs to be recycled and biogas systems can recycle it just like they can recycle manure. But all that food waste, that hasn't had any of its energy taken out of it yet because it hasn't been digested yet. So food waste generally has 10 to 30 times more biogas potential in it than even manure does. And so there oh, are a wow. lot of farm-based systems that are looking to add food waste to the manure because it significantly boosts your biogas yield. And there's standalone food waste systems and, and other opportunities as well. So that increased biogas production from adding food waste is, is significant. Well, Patrick, as farmers look out to 2023, 2024, input costs are high. Eventually, we'll see commodity prices come down. They might be looking at ways to add another income stream to the farm. Can you talk about how some of the tax policies have changed with regard to biogas systems and if that changes the math on an installation? Yeah, so the so you might imagine, I mean, we're talking about all the upsides here, right? But these, these systems are not cheap to build also. So you want to have that big upside to be able to cover the capital cost of your, your system. And it'll be worth it in the end, but we're talking about, you know, big upsides and then some capital costs too. One of the things that helps with those capital costs is the uh, new bill that was just passed by Congress last month called the Inflation Reduction Act. And it covers lots of different things. But for the clean energy space, it's probably the strongest piece of legislation that we've seen in over a decade. And in the biogas industry, it's definitely the strongest piece of legislation that we've ever seen. And what it allows you to do is it allows you to take a tax credit if you build a new biogas system. And that tax credit could be worth from 6 to even 50% of your capital cost of your systems as a rebate uh, for for building a new a new biogas system. Um, there's opportunities if your biogas system generates electricity. Now if your biogas system uh, generates renewable natural gas, and uh, those, those tax credits are obviously very valuable and it's helping us to build out the almost 15,000 new systems that could be built in the US if we recycled all of our organic material from our manure, our food waste, and uh, the wastewater sludge that we have in the US. Patrick, with these tax credits, one of the, the complaints I guess I've heard from the industry in the past is that they're short term, one or two years. Is that different here in the IRA credit? That is, in addition to being a comprehensive bill, the long term outlook is, is a huge new thing for the biogas industry. Some other industries like wind and solar, they got a, they got a deal in 2015 that they knew that their tax credit was going to be around for five years. And basically the rest of the clean energy space didn't. Now everyone has about an, a 10-year lead time or 10-year um, path for these tax credits. So we know they're going to be around. That makes it easier for investors to invest in projects. So if you're trying to build a biogas system and you're trying to get an equity investor to come into your project or you're trying to get debt from your bank, it's now a lot easier, a lot more attractive for those banks to work with you because they know that that tax credit is going to be around a little bit longer. The banks can make a little money from the tax credit. You can make some money from it, too. And that certainty helps project development uh, quite a bit. Now, Patrick, I know you'll be teaching folks about what is developing in the biogas space here in October at the Biogas America's RNG Conference. That's virtual this year, isn't it? It is. It is. It's a Tuesday afternoon and a Thursday afternoon online, uh, October 18th and 20th, biogasamericas.com. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. See if this is an opportunity for your operation as you look out to the future. Patrick Surfass, Executive Director of the American Biogas Council. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick around. When we come back, we're going to talk the EPA's moves against atrazine with Greg Krisek, CEO of Kansas Corn and a member of the Triazine Network. Stick around for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I 
first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Seed by CHS comes from. It's made by farmers for farmers. Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job in yours. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. You took the first step and quit smoking, but even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took the first step, now take the next. Visit SaveByTheScan.org for a simple quiz to see if you're eligible and talk to your doctor about screening. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Well, folks, thanks for joining us today for AOA. After almost, after over, I should say, 60 years of work across the majority of corn sorghum fields across this country, this summer, the EPA took a look at atrazine, and they proposed some pretty significant changes to the way that chemical can be used on farms across the country, and it has raised the concerns of groups and businesses and farmers throughout the ag sector, none the least of which is the National Corn Growers Association and the Triazine Network. Greg Krisek is the CEO of Kansas Corn Growers, and he serves on the triazine network he follows this issue very very closely greg the epa has until october 7th for comments on the changes to the atrazine registration what are you hoping farmers are willing to tell the epa thanks mike appreciate being on with you today and we really need um, farmers to again step up we've done this and the farmers have done this several times in the last 10 years but we need to step up and comment to EPA how important this product is. Um, it's in over or nearly 90 different formulations that corn, sorghum, um, and other commodity groups use, uh, especially even um, sugarcane and fruits and vegetables. But the deadline is coming up October 7th. EPA has utilized a relatively unusual uh, regulatory what they think need to bring this topic back up. In the 2016-18 timeframe, we went through a negotiation with EPA and came up with a standard, which is called the 15 parts per billion aquatic life standard. EPA is now saying that it should be much lower. And overall, they proposed again, as we fought against them before, a 3.4 parts per billion um, level of concern is called a CLOC, but that's a bad number. It's a bad number not based on scientific evidence um, that we will at the Triazine Network again show and others will show to the agency. But now it's this time around, it's made worse by even a, a worse model um, that's based on some faulty assertions that just makes it more and more conservative to where it's, if enacted, it would affect um, the use of atrazine on over 60 uh, or nearly 65 million acres of corn and sorghum across the country. And it's simply made worse by now a proposed set of mitigations uh, that EPA wants farmers to, within those acres, um, to impact, including what could lead to some label changes, um, one of them being you cannot not apply the product uh, within 48 hours of any rainfall event that might create runoff. And I have yet to speak to a farmer that feels that fair weather sources of weather predictions are that accurate that they can, you know, never, uh, they could always abide by that. It also yeah. bans, bans aerial application and lowers the overall atrazine rate by about 20%. So we need farmers to comment. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, this is all being driven by that aquatic level of concern, the level of atrazine left in water after, as you mentioned, a rain event that 15 parts per billion is where the science agreed EPA wants to drop it to 3.4 or perhaps more. Greg, let's talk about what happens if this... If nothing changes, if EPA closes the comment period, they propose the, the rule rolls out into a finalized uh, uh, position, when would it impact growers? Would it be during the 23 season? It's unlikely that it would be because of the following. Um, after we brought this to the attention of EPA and really pushed, they have committed to hold what's called a science advisory panel after the comment period. Uh, specifically about what should that parts per billion level be. In the past, we've had a couple scientific advisory panels 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, that said the number can be significantly higher, yet EPA keeps rolling out this 3.4 proposal. Um, we ended up at 15 uh, in, in, a, in the last round. I think it could have been higher. Um, so the timing of doing or completing a science, science advisory panel will take us well into 2023. 
So I find it highly unlikely that there could be any proposed label changes until at least 2024, um, maybe even 2025, but 2024 would be my best guess. Greg, when we get a science advisory panel, of course, that could be good news if science backs the product, but it all comes down to who's on the panel. Do we have a rundown yet of scientists or experts who might be involved in uh, this decision? Not exactly yet. After the October 7th deadline is when uh, EPA will start that process. It's my understanding currently that those panelists are recommended by, like, um, the National uh, Institute of uh, uh, Science, National Science Foundation, and are picked in in a process that goes through that. So that will be where we will be engaging next, is how those are are chosen. And I am aware that there are some uh, highly influential uh, members of the ag community, House ag, Commi House ag Committee, for example, that wonder whether uh, they should, you know, have a chance to give input on those members as well. So that will be the next step after the comment period. So far, uh, by account of yesterday, we're, we're well over 10,000 comments that have come in supporting atrazine um, to the agency. And I think in this next week, we'll see even more come in. But there's still that opportunity. And we need um, growers. We need ag retailers, those who support the farmers, um, to all comment. And I can certainly uh, direct them towards a website called fightepa.com which has a landing page for the triazine network. If you're a member of the National Corn Growers, you've been contacted about this. Same with the Farm Bureau. Absolutely, folks. You have until October 7th. That is next Friday, I do believe. Get on those websites, fightepa.com, folks. We've got to get your comments in. If you use atrazine, Greg Krisak, CEO of Kansas Corn, thanks for joining us today. Have a good one, Mike. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk more AOA right here. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Most folks just stick with the diesel engine oil they know, because why sweat the details? But you don't. You're one of those who'd make the switch, and we're talking to you. Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. While the others experience wear and tear, you give complacency a kick in the pants. Cenex Maxtron Diesel Engine Oils, oil that runs smart. As harvest begins, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to be diligent in taking the proper precautions to ensure treated seed does not enter the domestic or export grain supply. When properly handled, seed treatments are an effective agronomic tool that provides seeds the necessary protection for a strong, healthy start. Completely remove all treated seed left in containers and equipment used to handle harvested grain and dispose of it properly. Always be careful to follow state and federal guidelines for proper handling, storage, and disposal of treated seed. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer.